Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 5, where we are discussing all things coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings for a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Two outstanding guests join me this week, so I'll hand over to them to introduce themselves. Hi, thanks, Phil. Uh, good to be back on. Can't actually believe it's Season 5 already. I don't know how long I've been asleep, because I was definitely on Season 1. Um, but no, great to be back on. I'm Stuart Dixon. I'm the Programme Lead for the Yorkshire Rugby Academy. I've uh, been doing that now for uh, just over 12 months. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me back on as well, Phil. Again, it's been been a while. I think I was one of the uh, the earlier episodes in season one as well. Um, so good to be back with, with Stuart. Uh, so yeah, my name's Alex Grieve. I'm the Developing Player Programme Lead for the Yorkshire Rugby Academy. Um, and similar to Stuart, we both started at the same time. So I've been going for, for about a year now. Jen, it's a pleasure to have you both back. You are part of a very small select group that have actually been on the pod twice. So uh, if you want to put that on your CV, I'm not suggesting you have to, but you know, you, you are more than welcome to. Um, so I, yeah, I guess a slight change for this week in terms of you guys won't be necessarily um, picking a piece of content, but more just a really good opportunity to, to chat about the work you're doing with the Academy and, and kind of where it's come from, the challenges it's faced and where you're at now. And then also, I guess, some of the, the learnings and the, the educational bit that underpins how you approach the role and, and kind of putting the academy together. So um, does one of you want to kick us off and, and just give us maybe a, a whistle-stop tour? We definitely haven't got enough time for the, the, for the, full, the full rundown. Um, you know, how, how is it that you are now in the roles you're in? What has happened with the academy? What's the process, et cetera, et cetera? Shall I kick off, Alex? Because we... Uh... We were the only ones who got to do any activity last last season, so so quickly touch base. So the 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 Yorkshire Rugby Academy was um, the the kind of rebirth, I guess, of what was Yorkshire Carnegie Academy, which was one of the fourteen RFU licensed academies. Uh, unfortunately, with everything that went on at the club, um, the the staff got made redundant early in sort of the pan, first pandemic, the first lockdown, in the summer. Um, and then for a variety of reasons uh, and in fairness a lot of push from parents and school teachers in Yorkshire um, saying that you know there's 1500 kids per age group that need development so we need to do something about this uh, we're quite fortunate that the Yorkshire Rugby Academy was sort of reborn in in uh, early October last year uh, myself and Alex got the roles um, and then kind of subsequently the rest of rugby sort of stopped but we were fortunate that the under-18s were allowed to carry on under the elite pathway exemption. So in some ways it was challenging because we couldn't really open or cast the net far and wide to, to identify players due to the fact that there was nothing happening. But in a lot of ways it made things easy because there was just us. Um, so we, we got a real tight-knit bunch of players and some of the stuff and maybe the challenges we'll talk about this year in terms of Stakeholder management and managing player loads and things like that just weren't an issue. So whilst we might not have had across the board um, maybe the most able group, um, we certainly had a real tightness and togetherness that led to some some pretty good performances in the Academy League. So we managed to play four games and um, 
yeah, it was a real kind of success, which then springboarded us into this season. And uh, I'll let Alex take over because some of his work sort of underpinned what we now do in the 18s. Yeah, so obviously a bit of a, a different pathway uh, or a different restart for the DPP side of things. Um, obviously, the, the double whammy of the previous incarnation of the academy uh, folding and then COVID kind of put things fairly long way back um, and different to the academy that, that the DPP falls into the community game. So we were operating under the same restrictions as all the rest of the kind of clubs and schools around. So having started the job in um, was it October, having planned for a November start that was then stopped by lockdown two, then did a full replanning for January start. And I think it was the night of the first session, uh, Senor Johnson came and said, you're now uh, on lockdown again. So everything got stopped. So I think ultimately it was, uh, I think it was early June when we managed to restart some of the, some of the DPP activity. Uh, fortunate enough that the, um, the RFU kind of said we were able to operate over the summer um, for the pathway. So it gave us a good chance to, to, to try and get some of these boys back in that had been on the programme previously, kind of 18 months after the last contact time. Um, so worked with what are now the current 16s, 17s and 18s ran a fairly significant chunk of activity over the summer, um, A, in terms of just making up for missed development opportunities and getting them going again, but also supplementing the stuff that Stuart's doing and supporting the identification for the guys that are into the, uh, the academy group this year for the academy league, and then also getting an early look at um, the boys that will be coming into the 17 to 16 academy groups in the new year. Um, so that's kind of the previous thing of the summer. Then we're just having a bit of a... Um, staggered start to the rest of the age groups. So seven teams have been able to run this year. Obviously, as 16s, they missed what would have been their final year of DPP. So we've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to take those guys through till November and get an extra block in. The 16s got up and running uh, a couple of weeks ago. So again, the same guys we had in over the summer. Uh, 15s are due to start on Monday night, and then the 14s uh, will be post-Christmas. But there's obviously challenges around uh, kind of 14s and 15s having to start from scratch, um, having missed the kind of normal window of, of kind of assessment and opportunity and programme start for those guys. Um, so, yeah, significant changes. We, we, we're pretty happy with what we did over the summer. Um, got lots of really good support from kind of facilities and coaches and teachers and staff and volunteers that were able to support some real high quality delivery, um, which is, which is shown the, reflected in the stuff the guys are doing at the minute, the boys are doing at the moment. Um, but the challenges that are coming now is now that everyone's back to rugby, clubs are back in, schools are fairly full on. Lots of stuff's changed over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. And um, there's been a significant change around in terms of coaching personnel from what we had in place kind of two years ago. So that's probably one of the, one of the bigger challenges at the moment. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. I mean, firstly, brilliant that it, it actually got back up and running because I guess there was a probably a couple of... Uh, yeah scary moments there where not quite sure what was what was going to happen and and for both of you still to to be in your roles is a is a huge positive so um i i, I mean my first question is really off the back of i guess the, the covid challenges like alex you talked about kind of catching up on the misdevelopment opportunities do you guys think that is possible i mean i mean we can generalize this to to kind of rugby in general not just you guys but can can we catch up or is it a case of all of those players um, that are in your kind of, you know, development brackets have now just missed that opportunity? So maybe in two, three, four, five years, that will get found out slightly and, and they're just further behind than they would have been normally. Like, how are you guys viewing that? 
is as I say, is it possible to catch up or is it kind of just deal with them where they're at and that's a different reality to what it would be like inverted commas normally? And then I think there's like a little bit of time will tell over the next kind of three, four, five years where where the data shows that some of these boys will end up. Um, you know, will they will they have the same sort of progression numbers into different parts of the pathway um, as previous years or future years will do. So I think there'll be kind of a little bit of wait and see. Um, but from observations and from the activity that we've seen, certainly over the summer, it was easy to see that, that a lot of players are, you know, behind where we'd probably expect a group to be. Um, obviously, they missed 12 months at least of rugby, so it's it's not surprising on that front. So there's, there's definitely a noticeable difference between um, kind of what we've seen previously for that age group and what we saw over the summer. Um, but on the flip side, um, having run now kind of six months of activity for some of those boys, they've actually improved and, and developed really, really quickly in that time. Um, so there's been been really, really good levels of progression. Um, some of the skill levels, the, the understanding of the game has developed really, really quickly. So it's not quite where we'd be back to in terms of the curriculum we'd usually be using. Um, but there's, there's definitely been kind of a really, really quick rate of development from the guys that we've had regular contact time with. I guess, and and kind of Dicker, this probably applies to your guys as well. Like, how how do you now go about um, ensuring that happens when everything is back up and running? Because now, now, as you say, stakeholder management, like it's back to that classic: schools, schools want them, the clubs want them, you guys want them. They're they're being dragged left, right, and center. How how do you guys go about managing that in an effective way for for those individuals to to ensure they're not being I guess, like stress, they're not being, you know, kind of pillared to post and, and they're actually still in a position where they can they can make the most of all of the environments they're in. Wow. Uh, that's a pretty meaty question. Um, just to pick up on some of the stuff that Alex referred to. So we, we definitely noticed that um, the divide, I guess, between the haves and the have-nots was was more marked over the summer. So if, if the kids had been in a, a school where... They've got a good rugby programme and they still had access to some stuff, even if it was just a wraparound club and inverted commas and they were still getting some skill development that they did present as further ahead in that kind of early part of summer. Um, so what we kind of linked that to, and I will get to your question about stakeholder management, but some of the, the stuff that, that Joe Baker and Kev Till have, have published around that sort of current performance and future potential and trying... I say scientifically, at best, it's sticking a finger in the air and hoping to get the right outcome. It's just sort of where are they at in terms of their performance, but what does their potential look like? Um, so we've been, I guess the good thing is now we can be a bit more fluid about players who might might have started well, but now plateauing, um, get, get to go back to clubs and schools and, and work on some stuff. And, and guys that have gone really well get a chance to come in. But um, I guess to cap off the, the stakeholder management uh, piece it, it, it is really difficult and I, I do have a lot of empathy for rugby masters and, and club coaches because you know rugby's back so why not get excited about it but unfortunately there's kind of not much reference paid to the fact these guys have had 15 months off so we we definitely noticed and it, it wouldn't just be us in Yorkshire having spoken to some of the, the guys at the other academies kind of five or six weeks into the season, the lads were absolutely out on the feet. Um, and they weren't doing any more or any less than they had done in the past, but it's just this, I guess, this kind of cumulative fatigue that they wouldn't be used to. Um, so trying to have those conversations and, and bring people in, mums and dads would probably be the, 
the biggest, you know, kind of audience that we need to, because I just love watching the kids play, right? They're just on the touchline and getting excited. Whatever the kit is or whatever the environment is, I just love watching the lads play and that's that's fantastic. But it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. We're getting to a stage now where the school games are getting bigger and bigger. So Wednesdays are now filled with NatWest last 16 quarterfinals. Um, and obviously we try and, ramp up our preparations for Academy League that begins on the 18th of December. So we, we are in a real kind of tricky situation where on any given night, you could probably miss in six to 10 lads. Uh, and that does have an effect on the level of detail you can get into when you get maybe two, two and a half hours on pitch a week, you know, compared to their normal environment where that could be five, six hours around games. So it's, uh, it's been tough, but I mean, the good thing is we've been able to, back up what we said we would do. So we, we committed to watching more games. Now they were back up and running on a, a Saturday and Sunday. Um, being able to get back into schools and have these conversations is is fantastic as well. So yeah, I get from both sides of it really, this is where we want to get to as an, an academy, but we also understand that pulling your school shirt on, which you didn't get a chance to do all last season is massive. Um, so yeah, it's delicate and it's definitely added to the stress this year when, when last year those conversations were it's great that they're getting some rugby. And now the conversations are, do they need so much rugby? I'm not sure. But yeah, I don't know if Alex has got any more to add on to that. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it looks a little bit different with with kind of the DPP and the academy and the, probably the perception to the programme and the amount of contact time. Um, certainly with the, what are now the under-17s group, we've, we've noticed um, quite significant changes from kind of week to week in terms of player attendance. Um like I said before, you know, we wouldn't usually run an under-17 DPP. It's been added in this year, obviously, because of the 16th year that was missed. Um, so we ran, I think, an eight, nine-week block from middle of September through to about a week ago. Um, roughly 25 players in each of the groups. And on any given night, we we're probably getting closer to 15 in some of the areas, even, even less, 10 to 15. Um, so, you know, we took the decision we're going to run it on a Monday evening. Um, obviously not ideal from some aspects in that the guys were done rugby over the weekend, but because we're running weekly blocks, if we if we go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're going to be missing out from, from kind of club environments and school environments. We don't want to take them out of that environment there. Um, so we took the approach of saying, look, you guys just let us know, manage your load. If, if, if we have to take um, take a back step that week, a back seat that week, that's fine. If you've got too much over the weekend, we'll make whatever happens on a, on a Monday evening, whatever numbers we've got work, um, place yourselves at kind of the centre of things. So said that to players and parents and, if you're able to, if you need to miss a week here and there, then, you know, that's, that's not a problem from our point of view. And just make sure, like Stuart says, that education and get that messages out there. But just make sure players feel comfortable and coming to us and saying, I've just got too much going on. I can't attend this week. Um, so there's a few concerns and, and, and a few um, questions from some of the guys are coaching on the programme, some of the other players that were, were able to attend regularly. Um, what's the kind of output to it going to be? We were looking at some more... Um, Kind of detailed tactical input in terms of attack defence, but I think the pleasing thing was we we took the half term week uh, as an opportunity to run a bit of a playing festival, joined together with the, the county teams um, to support some of their identification, <clears throat> and the stuff that came out on field was really really good. Um, so we ran a couple of kind of similar festivals over the summer, um, and as we said before, we're probably a little bit behind where we'd have expected to be, but there was a massive development. Um, from kind of middle of uh, early mid-August when we ran the last one over the summer to the end of October, um, despite the kind of challenges with players attending and the, the kind of volume of, uh, of activity they've had. So the stuff we saw on that evening, I think, was really, really impressive. 
um, and it was it was commented on by kind of the majority of people that were there. So kind of whilst there were challenges, it's definitely shown that it's been worthwhile to run it as we have done, and, and there's been definite success and outcome from it. Um, so yeah, it's, that's it's managing that and just showing the education, and, and from our point of view, just saying look, you know, we we don't mind if if we're the ones that any particular week are the ones that are sacrificed for, for want of a better word, I suppose. Oh, yeah, I think that's great to hear. Do you know what I mean? It, it, again, you, you, you're ultimately putting the player at the centre then and they've got to manage their own programme. And But if they know there's no, I guess, no pressure, it, it, you know, or, or recourse is maybe a better word. Do you know what I mean? It's not, It's not. well, that's that's my chance gone, which I think certainly from my experience in these environments, that that can very much be the case. Do you know what I mean? it's Even if it's not ex- explicit, there is that understanding that, well, actually, if you can't make something, you're, you're just slipping down the... The, the depth chart or whatever it might be and and I don't know whether that's actually the the perception of that is worse than the reality um it, it's probably a bit of both I would guess but it's it's certainly a an interesting challenge I guess for for you guys running the program and for anybody that's involved so um I guess so I guess my next question really is is about what what are you guys kind of uh, Dicker, you mentioned some of Kev Till's stuff there. What are you guys using to kind of underpin um, the understanding or the creation or the or the way you kind of go about managing and implementing the stuff? Where where is that coming from? And and I'm not expecting a you know a glossary here, but kind of what what types of bits are you picking up? Like how how do you construct all of the the bits to end up with the program and the approach that you take? Um, so I think some of the the work we've been doing this year, and this has been kind of driven centrally by by the RFU, which is, is fantastic. So um, Camilla Knight's done some work over the past few years. She certainly supported the Wellington Festival and, and understanding uh, sort of players and and how they perceive things, which is is always difficult when I've not been 16 for a little while now. So um, my perception of, of what's important probably different. Um, so we, we, we are kind of exploring, I guess, those whole host of psychosocial characteristics, um, which I know is, sounds wordy and, and, and everything, but what we're trying to do is how much of that we can be explicit about and some of the stuff they would know, and then how much would we slip in to some delivery. Um, so an example might be, you know, one of those psychosocial characteristics around being highly adaptable. You know, some players really struggle with that because they like they like the structure they might play in um excuse me in an environment where it is quite structured and this is how we attack so just little things like having conversations you know like you know they're not competing at the breakdown they're operating a 13-2 defense so what you're thinking in terms of a fly half how, how are we going to break that defense down and very quickly you kind of you just see these like wide eyes looking back at you going I've no idea what you're talking about. You know, so basically what you're saying is regardless of defensive picture, you're going to hit up the middle, forge around the corner, get to the edge and repeat, you know, kind of wherever. Um, and then I guess the other stuff is just trying to manage their awareness. So that, that self-awareness piece is huge, not just in terms of where they're at within the peer group. So do I understand that, there's probably a couple of guys ahead of me and what do they do well that I could learn from, but also that what am I like as a person in and around the group in and around school. So it wouldn't be uncommon that in our group, we wouldn't see some of the issues they might have in a school. So coming back to the stakeholder management piece being so important, you get those kind of pictures 
So when you speak to their rugby masters or club coaches, they might present as a different person, either like really loud, really kind of out there. But then when you see them in a group, they just hang on the, the edges. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much people are aware of the, the psychosocial stuff, but there's around 15 characteristics which sort of blew my mind away. Um, and then I guess you can't work on 15 things at once. So you've got to kind of go, what's going to give the most benefit here and uh, and add to the programme? So we're kind of, yeah, I guess sort of mixing those two ideas. So current performance with future potential, and that drives, I guess, the who you, you select to work with. And then some of the other bits is once they're in there, can we then give them some support, either explicit or covertly, around some of these other characteristics? Um, not easy. We definitely make lots of mistakes. And that, that's a weird thing. So just quickly, I, I, I know I'm waffling, but over the summer when we had 250 lads at 17 and 18, and you, you really open and honest and say, look, we'll get this wrong. We're only selecting 40. You know, we're going to make mistakes. And I get that it's disappointing, but there is this whole long season where they're going to play rugby they're going to have opportunities to come back in and I think like Alex mentioned the, the kind of stuff in October half term allowed us to walk the walk a little bit and some guys came in that had been on the edge um, and now just this week we've kind of released a few guys back to, to club and school because you know that's the right thing for them we're not in any way saying they're bad players we're just saying right now you might be struggling with what we're trying to do um, so yeah that's uh a long-winded way of discussing what we're trying to do. <laughs> Alex, what does that look like in terms of, I guess, layering that in for the younger guys? Because obviously you're not maybe not going to be as explicit with a 13, 14, 15-year-old group as you might be with the 18. So how how do you like take that and, and distill it or filter it down, layer that in, whichever approach you kind of do take? How, what does that look for you? Yeah, I mean, it's very much like, I think layering is probably the right word for it. Um, we've got a, a curriculum that we've, well, we've always had a curriculum in place, um, just with kind of more principle-based than, than too much kind of detail, certainly on the tactical side of things. Um, and there's also bits on the, the technical um, athletic side and then what we term as resilience within our model as well. Um, so it's just looking at how that would kind of filter back in each particular age group. Um, so it, it was pretty similar, obviously kind of, Two years ago, we had, we had a, a curriculum in place and it's not massively different, but it's given us a chance to uh, to reflect on things um, and look at which bits are important to carry over, which bits were good, which bits were working, which bits can we adjust and tweak slightly that might provide uh, additional benefit. Um, how does the new structure, the new principles, the new way of playing the game within the, the academy that Stuart's talking about now, how does that affect things? Certainly in the older age, which we start to look at a little bit more detail. So it's, it's kind of building backwards a little bit, um, certainly given that we're starting with the older groups in terms of the return to, to DPP. Um, yeah, I'm just, just trying to provide them with a, a good grounding. So wherever their next step on the journey is, you know, they've got some understanding of, of what it looks like. So if they go into the academy at some point, so for example, under 16s coming up or under 17s later in the year, if, if the guys are talking about, you know, playing off nine, playing off 10, two sides, two layers of attack, um, they can, they've got a basic understanding that the, the, the guys in the academy can add some detail to. Um, it's still still pretty early days. Like I said, we've just started off with the 16s. Um, 15s are about to and 14s, but they're still on assessment at the moment. So we've got a, a bit more um, building and, and to do to get a full return, um, but we're certainly taking the same approach and kind of working it back, kind of 15s and then 14s. 
How does that work across the, the whole programme now? So I guess the, the lack of influence of a senior club, and, and that's that's obviously the difference that, that you guys have. Like you're, There's no first team now that, that this is how everything's set up. They're not looking for X skills or X understanding in a player. And, and I would think most of the other academies follow a pretty similar model there. There's, there's going to be variants, obviously, but they are looking for a pretty consistent approach in, in what the academy produces to then be able to perform in the first team. Without that top end bit, like how how are you how have you guys come up with what that looks like? Is that a bigger challenge now that, or is it a bigger opportunity because you can kind of just go broad spectrum and pick anybody? Like what what impact has that had on on how you view this? Uh, again, awesome question. The um, I've always kind of so I've been involved in the development pathway, I guess, since about twenty thirteen. Phil, when we you know we were kind of all working together introducing the DPP and then latterly sort of developing coaches and stuff. I've always had this kind of notion that it it seems firstly inappropriate, but also a little bit nonsensical that you would try and develop a 15-year-old in a certain way for the current head coach of a team that might never play for. And realistically, that coach won't be around when they get to play for them. Um, so we've always had a, like Alex said, a kind of principle-based approach to, to the stuff we do. Um, to the, to the other part of the question, I think it's really interesting. So we would, because we live it and we're in it every day, we see the massive opportunity side of things that, that this can give the lads, you know, open doors to whatever the next steps might be. We know that there's some limitations and it's, it's definitely not for this podcast to discuss the whys and wherefores. But, you know, one of our big things is to, regardless, so currently we've got 39 lads that would come in uh, twice a week but we've probably worked with closer to 60 since the summer so each and every one of those lads gets the same opportunity to access some of the great work we're doing with global bridge so the education platform stuff um so yeah so they can they can access that they they're allowed to build their own profile so when they're approaching universities they can reference the fact they've been involved in the academy program they can reference all the other bits that would make them stand out as students so like in this day and age most people get the grades realistically they're not going to apply to universities where they think it's a stretch like i need three a's but realistically i'm going to get a c and two d's they're not applying for those so how do you stand out as a person when there's so many courses oversubscribed so we think that's a a massive point of difference and i know that some of the other academies have, have kind of taken that platform on this year so it's that's one of the massive opportunities so it's what comes next, either vocationally or educationally, can we support on that? Um, you know, and again, we're not tied. So in the past, we might have contracted a number of players to the senior academy and then strong-armed, not the quite right word, but suggested that it'd be in the best interest if they studied locally. Whereas obviously now we're going, well, let's let's break that down. Like what's what's the best course? Where's that? Right, brilliant. That's a 10 out of 10 course, but their rugby provision's not great. So what's the next best? And this that's an eight out of ten, and the rugby provisions book super rugby. Well, let's have that conversation. See if we can, you know, and, and we build relationships with those guys at book super rugby. So it's difficult. I get I get that for me as a as a parent myself, I think that's a pretty good combination. But everybody wants to be a professional rugby player. Um, so what we don't have, and the big limitation is we don't have that reference point. And even going back to the to the Carnegie days, we didn't realistically have that. 
know, we had good guys who worked really hard and, and good professionals. But that's a big difference to, you know, somebody who's down at Harlequins and let's see how Danny Care operates and why he's still playing the way he is at, you know, mid-30s. Let's have a look at how Marcus Smith goes about his business. There's no reference point for our lads and we get that that's a big limitation. So something we're working on is how do we give them those reference points? And it's not easy in an already congested calendar. So the playing schools are playing with us. Oh, by the way, why are you going to drop in down at uh, Wasps for three days and a half term? You know, because you've got nothing else better to do as well as study. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm definitely more the glass half full. There's loads more opportunities without the parent club. But I also understand perception from the outside that without that, it's a, well, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of this pathway if you don't get a nice shiny tracksuit at 18, you know, for the senior squad? I know what your thoughts are, Alex. And... Uh, yeah, obviously a little bit different kind of further down with, with the age groups, but I, I totally agree with the kind of reference point side of things. And, you know, we do get questions every now and then in terms of what, what's the end result look like um, in terms of, I want to go and play for premiership clubs or, or whatever it is. And first of all, we've got to manage the expectations that that's a particularly small number. Um, but we just got to make sure we promote the fact that those opportunities are there. Uh, the pathway is an extended pathway. You know, it goes through right through the university side of things now. Um, so just try and promote that as much as we can and say, look, there's no end point to this. If, if you keep going, there's always going to be opportunities there if you're in the right place. But the kind of number one thing we want to do is, is make sure you have a positive experience of our environments and make sure you're going away as a better player and a better person. Um, I think we've spoken to Stuart a little bit about some ideas and we're trying to engage perhaps some of the guys that have been through various um, kind of versions of Yorkshire academies um, and use some of those guys as role models and recognisable local um, players that you know can come and give a little bit back or at least provide a little bit of insight. So we're fortunate we've got one or two guys currently supporting DPP on a coaching aspect at the minute. Uh, another one or two that helped out over the summer. I know Dicko's done a little bit of work with um, with a couple of guys who are now playing Premiership and, and Championship. So you know it's really important we use those positive examples as you know as, as those reference points, as those role models for the for the guys that are 13, 14, 15 and coming through. Oh, that's that sounds really great. I mean. Uh, yes, I guess it's fascinating that you are the outlier that it's development for the sake of development. And and actually, you know, I, I, you know, Dicko smirks there because he knows I'm a purist and it's it's probably about maybe just uh, it's not a criticism. The model is the model, but it's interesting how it's kind of gone. Originally, the RFU academies were not club based. So it was, you know, we'll just develop players and then they'll go off into the ether and they'll do what they do. And then it went club focused. And then it's all about, right, we, as you said, we got to find the outcome we want, which I understand if you are putting hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds into into these products. But I, I, I still have big concerns about the procedural and processual nature of it. Like, just the way I think we talk about players are we've produced do you know what i mean it's very it's very mechanized it's very inhuman and and i yeah i just i i really love the fact that maybe you got i don't know if you're collecting data but just seeing what happens to the players that come through your program where they go what they end up doing it, it might just kind of reinforce that message that it doesn't all have to be done the same way all the time there are other ways to 
offer players opportunities to develop players and that they'll still naturally, you know, go on to perform and, and be really high quality professionals and, and have great careers and, and go into the community game and do all the things that, that, that everyone you would hope they would do. But it's, it's, yeah, I, I think I genuinely do think as much as it has probably been a, a bit of a, a nightmare for you guys at times to, to now have that outlier, I don't think is a bad thing because I, I really just think it could maybe challenge the status quo around, why do we keep doing what we do is is that definitely the best way because it's already gone through half a cycle maybe in 15 20 years it will come back and change again or maybe it won't maybe we'll go further down the rabbit hole I've, I've genuinely got no idea but it's it's definitely I think a, a, a nice position to be in I think you're kind of talking uh witchcraft Phil like you know so it is difficult because you know it's um from a business perspective, you want to be able to kind of rationalise the investment, you know, and, I, and I, I do get that. But realistically, in any given year, whatever the number might be, let's just broad brush, say six lads get a senior academy contract. We know full well, and the data is there, that not all six are going to be professional players. And certainly not all six players would be right for that environment. Um, so I guess... I guess one of the, again, the opportunities for us is to try and place the lads in the right environment, you know, so it changes things slightly. So we, we might not, in terms of ability level, you know, if we had a senior academy, not contract that player, but actually he's a really good kid and he's really dedicated to getting better. And actually your environment over at insert club here could be really good for him. Just as you, I know you want to go study there and you think it's going to be great and you're going to pull that premier jersey on, but they're just not, they're not going to tolerate. They don't work in the bandwidth that we do and you're a bit flaky from time to time. And that's one of your amazing qualities because you bring stuff to the field that other lads don't do, but you, they just won't tolerate that. I'm trying to sell that kind of stuff. So yeah, it, it's really interesting. I think people, and again, I didn't want to get into this rabbit hole, but people do have concerns that, um, from both ends, like Alex mentioned, so getting involved in our pathway because there is no kind of clear outcome, despite there being many really good outcomes. Um, but also from the status quo with the other 13, kind of going, well, hang on a sec, what's what's going on here? They've kind of got free reign and to drive things however they want. Like we talk about developing the game of the future, but realistically, a lot of them are developing. The future is three months down the line. You know, and we can globally go, well, what might it look like post-2023? So how are we working with 16, 17-year-olds now? So anyway, soapbox moment finished. <laughs> um, I, I, won't, I won't send you further down that rabbit hole, mate. So I will ask, are players, do you think, more aware of alternative pathways? So I guess, like within my bubble, I, I would now see way more stories about Buck Super Rugby guys or people that have come through non-academy stuff or they've just come through later or whatever it is, do you think that has filtered down to a place where players and parents would now look at, I guess, the rugby landscape and go, actually, it's not quite as crucial that little Johnny, it's always little Johnny, weirdly, poor, poor lad, um, little Johnny isn't being selected for the 16s or the 18s academy or the academy league or actually no 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 it, it, I'm I'm more comfortable with that because I know and I've seen 20 30 40 50 100 examples of players that haven't done 
every single step of the pathway, but they've still gone on to do do things. Like, is is that noticeable in in your kind of world at the moment? Yeah, I think that um, certainly the, the the highest kind of caliber stuff at the moment with with Alex Donbrandt pushing on to to England stuff. You know, I think going down the line that will become more of the norm. So currently, the kind of you know, is it uh, Northcroft? I always get his name wrong. He was at Quinns as well. I think as a centre. Um, that's terrible, oh, isn't it? Yeah, Norcross. Is it Norcross? Is it Alex? Is it North Northmore. Let's just. That bloke from Quinns. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so it, it would make sense. I mean, we, we, we go on and on and on about being a late developing sport. And yet we're somehow in a rush that by 18, you put a flag in the sand and determine people's future, which I just think, again, it's, it's nonsensical. So when we see, you know, the lads that graduated, for a better term, you know, they've moved on from our environment and, and this year they've gone on to whatever that may be, whether, you know, we've got one lad that signed a, a rugby league contract, um, which, you know, it, realistically, it'd be nice that somebody took a punt on him in the Prem, but I, I referred to the business model before and I get that. Um, but then we've got lads playing book super rugby. We've got lads that have gone to Scotland to follow their kind of ancestry stuff. So they've got a study in Scotland and, and got some opportunities up at Glasgow and things. And yeah, it's just, it's just great to kind of follow their journeys. Um, and listen, listen, they might just end up playing National League One and get a job that doesn't involve getting your head in the bottom of a ruck week on week um, and just enjoy Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday stuff. And that's no bad thing. <laughs> Whatever the level is, um, uh, one of our biggest successes has always been uh, a kid who went to play National Two. After 18, he sort of recognised that he wasn't ever going to push on to the highest level. So he just went, I'm going to smash my university degree get a job as like a child surveyor, whatever it might have been, and just enjoy playing rugby at my local Nat 2 club. And that's, if that links back to some of the self-awareness piece that we try and promote within the academy, then that's great. Because, you know, mums and dads would want, want the best ultimately. And sometimes they might think the best is becoming a professional player. But in hindsight, 10, 15 years down the line, actually that gave you some opportunities to get into a really good university, get a good education, and you know now, like you're still playing rugby, and that that's the key. Is obviously we want the guys to still play rugby, um, and how we follow that, I'm not entirely sure. And it's it's a good question, but you know, three four years down the line, how many of the guys that have had involvement with us are still playing, regardless of level? Because um, that's always something that's levelled at academies. You know, you churn players up, you spit them out, and they fall out of the game. And that might be true for a number, but I don't think we're um, kind of, we don't shout enough from the rooftops for the guys that do stay in and they just find their level and they enjoy the rugby for, for life. So, anyway, Alex, anything? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, it's uh, like you said, there, the, the number one thing we promote is, you know, staying in the game. You know, and the conversations we'll have with parents, particularly when they're asking at kind of 14, 15 years old, is look, we want you to enjoy. Know, our environments enjoy rugby and keep enjoying that wherever you end up, whether that's playing for England or whether that's playing for your club's first team instead of second team. You know, we want you to be a, a lifelong participant and, and enjoy the game and have developed kind of as much as possible through your involvements in whatever part of the pathway you've been in. Um, so like I said before, we want to, once we've had a few more lads come through this, this kind of uh, 
process we've got at the moment is kind of use those as case studies almost and, and, and highlight the different opportunities that there can be. So, you know, it might be X player didn't come in to the academy until 17, but he went on to play premiership rugby. There's others who've come in at perhaps 13, 14 and gone right the way through and are now a decent job in the city somewhere playing kind of National League rugby, like Stuart said. So we just want to kind of highlight those, say, look, success looks different for everybody. Um, but the number one thing from our point of view is, is, is keep playing and keep enjoying the game. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, I, Again, I, I've got genuine no idea now about actually how explicit or implicit those objectives might be for an academy, but I, I can't see a reason why that wouldn't be part of the organisational objectives. Do you know what I mean? That it's, yes, you, that there is a role for all of the academies to, to produce players that get signed and move into the senior club, but actually, like, why can't they be held accountable for how many of those players then go on and, and be involved in the community game? And there's there's realities around the ages of the players that you know they face, whether they're an academy player or not. We know going to uni is a pinch point. We know coming out of uni is a pinch point. Like There's lots of reasons why players will stop, but... I, yeah, I've never really understood if it's not an advertised objective for an academy to say irrelevant of whether you go into the senior club, we want to ensure that all of our players continue being rugby players. And I mean, they're good people in the academies. I can't see why they they wouldn't be promoting that. And there's probably an argument that it's at what point does it stop becoming their job? But you just go, well, if if everyone's doing their job properly, inverted commas, you'd hope that whatever happens, those those guys are are going to just then drift back into the community game and, and they're going to be really good players. Like how many of the national league clubs are, are full of those types of players? Like they, it ups the standard of the whole of the game, I think across the country, because good players make a difference in any environment they're in, whether it's level eight or whether it's level three or four or whatever, do you know, do you know, you guys know what I mean? It's just, it's that actually, yeah, they're the ones you want to kind of go and find and, and, and give them a really good opportunity what I what I do think becomes a real challenge, and I don't know w- whether you guys have experienced this. Um, I guess maybe more outside the academy, but it's actually the because of the professionalization of the the not only the academy program but also the school game. So the, I feel sorry for the clubs because they're sat there going, "Well, you got to pay membership, and you got to pay for your kit, and the pitch is probably a bit muddy, and we haven't got a groundsman blowing the leaves off of it before the game and stuff." And do you know what I mean? These kids come through these incredible environments and are so well looked after, and and it's such an experience that I don't know. Maybe sat in a in a dirty club changing room is kind of just then a bit like, oh, "Well, this this isn't school, is it? This isn't this isn't like the academy stuff. We're not we're not now playing at a wonderful stadium or." or any of that type of stuff. And I, I don't know how we as a general in the game, yeah, generally in the game, how, how do we overcome that? Like, wh- what are your guys' experiences of those? Do you hear players talk about, you know, the club being the poor relation? Maybe they don't want to play because of, of that bit. Yes, it's a, it's a really good point. Um, and I was actually, bizarrely, on the way back from a, a school visit this morning, thinking about just that and, you know, some of the work we used to do, Phil, around the, the different types of players that you kind of social, recreational, up towards competitive. And I just wonder whether the kind of environmental stuff drives or nurtures more of a competitive player within the school. Um, and pre- maybe the club game is more kind of recreational participation stuff. And, and some of the lads, you know, some of the lads would enjoy that, a bit of a release. So the, 
free from the constraints of playing a certain way and they can just go and rip it up on a Sunday. Um, but at the same time, there definitely would be some who just like, and this is no offence to any keen dads who are coaches, that's the game we live in, but that kind of lack of professionalism in terms of a, a tech tap model or, or whatever that might be in a club game, because ultimately they just want to get 15 players on a pitch and enjoy the rugby. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, is there a bigger dropout from a rugby playing school environment than from a, a kid who just plays socially for his Colts on a weekend? You know, do they push through more than the seniors? Like it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, there'd be, you know, yourself, we, we, we used to research this all the time and, the kid who wants to be competitive, but their ability level means they're probably third team at the club. And they definitely are the poor relations, by the way. Like, they don't get the sponsored kit. They don't get the uh, the nice water bottles. They get the first team shirts from a few years ago that are probably a bit past the best. They're stuck on the, the back pitch that probably don't get as much attention from the groundsman. Um, and this kid wants to play as high a level as he can. And he's kind of like, well, what's the point in doing this every week? It's terrible. So... I might drop down a few levels and play first team elsewhere. And then, you know, then that'd be a guess. And I'm definitely bastardizing some of his research, but Jamie Taylor's piece around the coulda, woulda, shouldas, that's um, real interesting. You know, like how many of them do we come across after four or five pints after a match on a Saturday? Oh, I could have made it, could have made it, but insert coach was terrible or um, I had the wrong shorts on at the trial or <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, so I guess the answer is I don't really know. Like the schools are doing some phenomenal stuff and they are investing heavily in their rugby programs. And you watch a game on a Saturday and it is it is cracking rugby. Wherever you go and watch, I mean the the committed, the and I def, I definitely don't don't gonna down the route of uh, referee badgering, but I do feel sometimes the referees don't understand the level of that game. You know, they're all society refs, but a kind of level seven, eight adult game is different to a, a schoolboy first fifteen. So I wonder how much we can work with the societies to to ensure that the kind of right type of referee gets assigned to games to to promote both that enjoyment and the, the quality. Because um, I've seen some really, really good stuff and I've seen games where I guess the referee, bless him, drags them down to his level a little bit, whether that's pace or some over-interpretation of the laws. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. I Honestly, I think it's something that we need to be mindful of, but I don't know if there's an easy fix. I think um, one of the things we'd say, regardless of kind of what level or where you're working at, is is make the best of what you've got. You know, don't compare yourselves to something or somebody that's, that's clearly operating in a different space. Um, so, you know, you take, as an, an academy, we've got a different setup and a different structure to the other kind of 14 academy or 13 academies. So will we compare ourselves directly to them? Not in not in all the ways. We know we'll look and learn what bits we can get from there. That filters back to kind of club and school stuff. Obviously, you're operating in a totally different space there in, in a lot of regards. So it's, it's don't try and copy what somebody else is doing necessarily. You know, it's, it's learn from the, those bits and learn from those other, other environments. What can we bring back to our place that will be good for us and will be suit our environment and what we're trying to do? Um, and just kind of, you know, like I said, do the best you can with what you've got. Um, you know, it was something we used to, to talk about through through my CRC role previously was, you know, if it's senior rugby, particularly on a Saturday, it's been alluded to a couple of times there, second team, third team can be a completely different place to uh, to a club's first team, you know, and kind of away from the day-to-day stuff. You know, I'm involved with a local club at the minute, I think it's level, level nine, level 10. Uh, one of the first things we're saying is, look, 
second team should be the same experience match day as a first team. You know, so we make sure there's medical cover at the games and we make sure they've got the same standard of equipment, the shirts that are there are kind of as close as possible to what the first team guys are playing. If they're not a game on the same weekend, you know, all the water bottles are clean and they're not covered in mould and you don't have to wash the balls off and scrape all the mud off before you start um, warming up on a Saturday. You know, you get a new match ball for every game and all those little bits and pieces. So whatever level of rugby it is, you're kind of playing at or age group, you know, do the best you can with what you've got and try and, you know, as much equality across club or school, or whatever space you're operating in as possible because ultimately the better the environment you've got, the more chances of players staying in the game and they'll recognise the work that you're doing to, to keep them engaged and keep them in there, even if it's not possible to be the same as somebody else around the corner or down the road or two or three age groups above or whatever it might be. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I guess so my follow on to that in terms of um, a slight tangent, but kind of links is is around your guys' use of IDPs with with younger players. So I'm kind of thinking like the DPP group, Alex, like what would the IDPs look like? Because I do find it's those types of things. Again, like it doesn't cost anything to have coaches run IDPs with players. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone has an equal access to that type of developmental process. And actually, do we make enough of that as an opportunity that it doesn't matter if you're at a school that doesn't play on the top circuit or doesn't have a conditioning coach or whatever, like if you are still invested in yourself and in your growth and development and learning and and that's supported through those types of things, actually maybe that can overcome to a certain degree, a a lot of the other environmental or, or kind of peripheral bits. So how, how do you guys kind of tee them up? How do you use them? What do they look like or, or do you use them? Uh, yeah, so uh, previously we've, we've kind of provided, you know, it's difficult, um, hold my hands up and say, it's tough here when we're operating a programme with 450 or 600 kids on it and, you know, 45 coaches that are all operating on a voluntary basis. So it, it's tough to kind of get as, as much detail and, and contact time as, you know, it would be good to do. Um, so we've got to, like I say, try to make the best of, of what we've got. So previously it's been a way of a case of providing templates and asking players to complete these and share them where they can with coaches and with school teachers and DPP coaches so that there's at least shared information there. Um, but we've, we've got to be really clear that, you know, players have got to take a lead on this. Yeah. We, we can push and prod and give the resources and make sure there's the opportunity there to do it, but we've got to, you know, players have got to want to take that on board and actually implement and, and go through those reflective pieces and, and create their IDPs and understand their strengths and areas for development. Um, so previously it's been, um, yeah, like I say, just, just pushing documents out and asking them to do it and pushing and putting and asking for a look at those at various points. Um, looking at the moment, working with um, a developer at the moment to try and bring it online, um, which from a selfish point of view will make it a lot easier. There'll just be stuff there that players and, and coaches can do it, can access it straight away, so it cuts me out as the middleman. Um, but in the way of kind of the way the world's working now with the technological side of things, in particular over the last kind of two years, when stuff like Zoom and, and Skype and stuff has become, uh, you know, more familiar to people, um, can we add these technology pieces to the programme to, to improve the quality of experience? So what we're looking at at the minute is a platform that we can, um, it's basically, it's editable. So we can enter the various parameters and scoring systems and the various technical, tactical bits and athletic and resilience and so on and so forth, psychosocial bits on there. Players can grade themselves. Coaches can grade players. They can share that information. It comes out with a couple of action points or your IDP focuses in terms of strengths and areas for work on a particular block of activity. And 
the idea would be that as soon as a coach uploads something to that platform, it's instantly viewable by players and parents, potentially school teachers and club coaches as well. So rather than them putting it all onto a spreadsheet and sending it to me, that I then send out to parents, which for 600 kids is quite some job. You know, it's um, as soon as a coach puts something on there, it's viewable, it's, it's accessible by, you know, the rest of the stakeholders in that player's development. Um, so that's kind of where we're looking, where we're exploring at the moment. Um, so we'll be, yeah, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll have something live uh, and being used by players as a bit of a, a beta test, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we'd be pretty excited to see how that looks in action. That's class. Is is that something you've had custom built or is that a, an app or a company you've kind of gone to? Uh, so it's someone we've gone to. Um, during the first lockdown last year when we all had plenty of time on our hands, it was something I was kind of playing around with and designing a little bit and had approached a couple of developers. But, you know, someone came through to us. I think I asked a question on Twitter about IDPs for coaches and, and they got in touch with us and uh, kind of walked us through the, the platform a little bit. And it's, um, you know, we've... we've probably wasn't quite where we'd need it to be for, for DPP as a starting point. But the guys we work have been really, really good in terms of taking feedback and, and trying to add bits to their platform and um, adapt it to suit, um, I wouldn't say our needs, but kind of players' needs and player development needs. So there's, there's definitely been tweaks made to it off the back of conversations we've had. So, you know, if there's someone there that's, that's able to provide a good quality platform and is able to, to work with us um, and we're able to work with them to improve their you know, offer as well, then, you know, it should work best for kind of not just us and, and them as a company, but also for players, regardless of what sport and environment they're in. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I was just thinking, of, as you say, the the reduced level of admin, for, I think if that, whether they'll consider rolling that out for more people or, or whatever, but yeah, there's, there's definitely going to be a market for something like that, as you say, just the instantaneous nature. And, and I, that that was my biggest learning from just using them more and more. It just it just tees up more conversations. Do you know? I don't. I honestly think that's the value of it. Like it's it's great to have something that's shiny and looks wonderful and all that type of stuff, isn't it? But ultimately, you just need somewhere where you're collating thoughts. But actually, what you do with that is is really the key point of the process, I guess. So yeah, yeah. Like I say it's obviously going to make it easy for me, but it, hopefully it'll it'll the coaches on the program see the benefit to it as well. Um, you know, they can complete it in their own time rather than having to sit down at a laptop and type bits out. It's going to spend a couple of hours doing this as a voluntary role, you know. It hopefully simplifies it a little bit by, look, you've got, you can put some scores and add a couple of comments. Potentially done a lot quick. You can, if you're doing it on a, on a tablet or an iPhone or other phones are available, um, whatever you've got to hand, then, you know, you can just drop a little bit and every now and then when you've got 10 minutes spare, if you're waiting for a coffee in the morning at a cafe or whatever it might be, it makes it a little bit easier. But also if it's accessible on field as well, so if you've got a phone or a tablet you can take on field and you can just look and if you're working with a particular group of players, you can just open it up, access somebody's kind of IDP, what's their current focus at the moment, bang, right, let's provide a little bit of feedback on that. Um, so like I say, it improves the kind of coach's ability to, to kind of do that, makes it easier for them and improves the experience for players. So we're, you know, we're putting a little bit of work in around kind of coach development and the, the technological side of things to make experiences better at the moment. So... Yeah, pretty pretty excited to see how it'll work. Yeah, look, yeah, look forward to hearing kind of or seeing how that that pans out for you guys. Um, so you touched on it there, and I'm conscious of your guys' time already, but um, 
I guess maybe like last last little bit is what is what does coach development look like for you guys at the moment, either individually or for the coaches within the academy? Because I mean, never got to, to to make one, but the boot room, I was always super jealous when when Dicko put that on social media. It just, you know, some really fantastic presenters, a load of quality, and obviously a load of great coaches in the room. So is, is that carrying on? Is it changed? What 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 does the kind of the landscape look like for coach development in Yorkshire now? I'll um I'll let Alex speak about the DPP stuff because again, there's some some real good stuff going on in that space. I need to firstly underline that, that because his budget is significantly bigger than mine, that he can do the app approach to IDPs. Ours is still very much um, PDF stuff, but again, it's it's sort of linked to the the kind of social characteristics piece. So there's a bit in there about them being engaged in their own mastery and their own performance and process detail driven, and it's really interesting supporting them so the first part of our sessions is always an idp block so you've got 20 minutes go and find somebody that's got a you know it might be box kick high catch go and work together and it gives you a good chance to have conversations around well you're box kicking i see that but what is the detail what is your process behind that and you know, in fairness they've got no idea <laughs> like, like put this in a game what does it need to look like to be successful so that's um that's really interesting. And I, I am excited by the stuff that Alex is doing and, and hopefully it's something that we can roll out. But in, in terms of coach development, I think that was the the um, the kind of roundup rodeo I did right back at the very start. And I think the I think the consensus was however big your pot of money, that coach development is the biggest thing. So if you've got very little, as we have, um, any sponsors out there just got a few quid in the pocket. <laughs> um but, you know, but we would want the coaches that provide players into our pathway to be as good as possible. So we need to work really hard on their development. Um, just as much as if you've got a bottomless pit of money that you might have a one-to-one mentor with every coach in your in your journey. And that's and that's great. So in terms of what we're doing, there's some work going to go on after Christmas, supporting a lot of the uh, county schools, particularly state schools environments where, you know, they really struggle with <clears throat> putting rugby on the curriculum. Uh, there's a there's a real big push and, and I'd, I'd be all for it where you look at reduced numbers because it's easier to get 10, 12 kids on a minibus and play a version of the game that way rather than it being a barrier to participating. So driving some of the, you know, the, the academy sort of model, what we look for in players and, and how does that translate into schools? Um, and then hopefully the flip side would be more teachers would see that it's not a big, scary beast and perhaps bring some of their amazing teaching skills into a rugby environment you know and that that's a really interesting piece in itself is is it easier to layer on some rugby stuff onto solid teaching skills and it is to give somebody teaching skills who knows a lot about rugby um so yeah so we're, we're massive about it and pretty thankful to the rfu that that they're driving a really big piece of work centrally so our old um gaffer mike mctaggart's driving some stuff through uk coaching and the rfu that'll support a good number of DPP coaches sort of centrally. Um, again, this this idea of curriculum actually meaning learning journey and not something that's rigid is, is pretty cool. So we can introduce coaches to various concepts that they can either take a bite-sized chunk or really dive, dive into. Um, so I'm excited to see how that, that works. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big part of our, our next steps as an academy. We've got the playing stuff going. We, we're fortunate we've got some really good facilities to deliver sessions at. So the next step would be how do we make sure the coach is working in our pathway as good as they can be. 
But Alex, over to you and your merry band of coach developers. <laughs> Cheers, Dicko. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of short-term focus for, for the DPP stuff at the minute is, is supporting the guys that are working on the programme. <clears throat> um, we've... Uh, Say a bit of a bit of a change recently in the fact that you know we've we've lost well we've a lot of coaches been previously involved have, have moved on um, sideways upwards wherever it is you know so there's there's been some guys we've done some pretty cool stuff um, you know so that's necessitated kind of a fresh batch of coaches coming in um, so obviously challenges associated with that around kind of experience of pathway knowledge of the DPP and the coaching environment that we're we're going to create so um, you know one of the first approaches we're taking to support that is to Actually, employ coach developers. So, at each of our five regional DPP centres now, we've got a coach developer that's going to be on the ground every week, working face to face with the coaches in that region um, on an ongoing basis. Um, so, like I said, part of it is born out of let's support the new guys that are in coaching with with some early learning, but also we want to make you know the DPP and coaching the pathway um, a worthwhile and valuable experience for everybody. So, even those guys that are experienced DPP coaches, you know, we want to provide them with some support. And make sure that their time for us is is worthwhile. They're enjoying it, they're learning, and they're able to take stuff back to other environments that they're working in. Um, so yeah, we've got the kind of we're lucky that we've got five really, really good and experienced um, kind of developers in those roles that will provide some good stuff. We've had I think two or three weeks already. We've had some really, really good conversations. Um, so you know their time will be, will be massive in terms of supporting that. Uh, we'll manage it a little bit centrally. Um, send some templates and some documents out to coaches and ask them to to fill these bits in. Um, so again, we've been pushing kind of IDPs out. You know, if a coach has got an IDP with a couple of points, it makes it a lot easier for those developers to support them around specific elements that they're looking to developing. Um, yeah, there's weekly reflection bits that I'm, you know, most of the guys will do as coaches anyway. Uh, what's it look like week to week? Could we tweak anything from one week to the next in terms of the session plan? But certainly in terms of individual development, you know, it's you can't just, this is my focus this week, I'm going to nail that this week and then move on to something different next week. It's like we're running a four-week block of activity. What's your focus for this four weeks? Okay, well, it's A and B. Right, well, let's support that A and B for four weeks. And then there's a bit of a, a wrap-up reflection with the developer for that area afterwards. Have we kind of hit that mark? Has it become consistent? Has it become habit? Do we keep it a bit longer or do we shift? Um, kind of that one of those IDP uh, actions to something different because we feel we like we've achieved that. So that's kind of one of the focuses we're looking at at the minute. Um, another thing we've added, again, going back to the technology side of things uh we've got another platform we're using that kind of like online surveying and online polling um so what we'll do after every monday night session there'll be a link that'll go out to players live they can fill it in the car on the way home and they've got 20 minutes half an hour to spend four or five questions maybe a few more score this give us a little bit of input on that um, and it's stuff that we will send back to coaches by the end of the week so coaches are getting direct feedback from players on particular elements and aspects of the delivery. So we're looking at, you know, how will the coaches engage with your pre-session? What's the quality of this been like? What was your learning moments around attack or defence? So it allows, you know, different perspectives to think. It's always really valuable to get players' input on stuff, and it's not something that's potentially done as often as it could be. Um, you know, there's always a bit of nervousness from players around filling it in and providing honest feedback, so we keep it anonymous at the moment. But again, even after two weeks, there's been some really, really positive feedback from the coach in terms of how valuable that information is. As a programme leader, I can see it as well. Um, so if I go, one of the questions is, what do you think the attacking focus was for this week? You know, if we get 25 out of 30 saying the same thing, it's like, yeah, the messaging there from the coach is really, really good and really, really clear and hope there's good learning around that point. 
if I'm getting 16, 17, 18 different answers, you know, some of the feedback is, is maybe how clear is the messaging coming through? What's what's the delivery like and what's the the kind of content focusing on? So as a result, what's the learning? So those are probably the two kind of big bits we've been looking at as a starting point to getting those developers on board and getting feedback from players. Um, and ultimately, kind of once the developers have kind of settled in and, and got into the program, you know, we'll, we'll hand a little bit more over to them. You know, everyone will have a different way of doing things and a preferred way of, of actioning and their own time constraints and thoughts on coach development. So, yeah, we're pretty, pretty keen to see um, what ideas come out of it and, and what approaches are used. Um, and the benefit for myself is I'll get a little bit of challenge as well. Um, obviously, with just myself managing the program, you know, I can put all my bits and pieces that I think are or a good way of going about things, but if I've got five other people there suggesting other options, you know, it's great learning for me as well and, and different ways of looking at things that will be beneficial to the to the program and the players that are on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, both both bits sound great. I just think that the fact you're asking for feedback directly is massive. I, I I just don't see that done very often in many places. To be completely honest, on a you know, you might get the the six month or the end of season one, but actually, how many people are doing that on a on a sessional basis, I just think there's, there's, yeah, I, hopefully you'll get a ton of information that's, that's really useful. So, um, I am intrigued how, how the Wi-Fi will survive in Yorkshire when you've got more than five people on it at once. So I don't know if you've got a, a solution to that steam powered or those hamsters are going to be busy, but, um, we, we, uh, we are training like part of our athletic development program is focused on the hamsters. <laughs> they have, uh, specific blocks, um, muscle endurance sessions. No, it's, um, it's, it's really, I say this, but as kind of the DPP is a great place to, to trial stuff and, and refine it. And then as the players come through, it'll definitely be stuff we embed later on in the pathway at 16, 17 and 18. You know, kind of tweak and refine it becomes the absolute norm. I guarantee if we got that feedback from our lads tonight after the session, it'd, it'd be really interesting because some of, some of the work I've been doing personally around a level four, this idea of resilience and uh, again, some of the stuff from, from Jamie Taylor is we talk about, you know, a lot of coaches would say, oh, we do a, a high challenge, high support environment at this place. Um, and his, you know, the way Jamie thinks is fantastic. So he would say, well, who's that based on? Because you've got 39 lads. You're not going to be able to high challenge every lad. Like some will find it really easy and you're not going to be able to support 39 lads. And some will feel like you're not interested in them whatsoever week to week. So things like that, just again, self-awareness as coaches is is what are we actually doing um is is that player struggling so that's why i think the feedback that alex is getting is going to be absolutely vital you know because if you're getting ones and twos out of five or whatever the scoring system is that's not necessarily bad either let's drill into that and go why do you why do you feel that well actually it's it's a bit easy for me or actually i'm a little bit out of my comfort zone so that's why i stay on the edge and then the coach didn't engage with me because i'm not involved in the middle of the session so yeah i think um some pretty exciting stuff if we're if we're prepared to be open and if prepared to kind of say let's let's drill into the so what so that player scored it one out of five well so what let's let's explore that rather than go oh well we won't count that in our figures because we like the higher numbers do you know what i mean so 100 no mate, I, I think you guys it sounds yeah in just in general like you're in a in a, a really positive place after a, a pretty tough time so um 
I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, I've got loads out of it, and it's it's just been brilliant to to explore in in maybe more detail than than we'd normally get the chance to do. Actually, what what it looks like and where it's coming from, and and what the future looks like. So um, yeah, I I just kind of wish you all the best and and hope it keeps moving along uh, really positively. So just before we finish, I didn't prep this with either of you, so we can always edit this bit out if we need to. But um, <laughs> if you're going to give people a nudge, like what's on your your bedside table at the moment, what you're reading, what are you what are you learning from? Like, where where would you send some people to get maybe some new information or some um, some updated ideas? Um, I guess kind of selfishly in my kind of current life circumstance, we're doing some. So we're currently going through the process of adopting a little girl. Um, so she's she's been with us nearly nine months now. So kind of learning about. I guess it's weird, right? That if you have a I say a normal if you have a normal child you just get sent home from the hospital after like 24 hours like good luck see you later whereas going through this journey just i guess under the microscope about parenting and, and understanding like what their their character is and there's so much crossover like so some of the stuff we spoke about this psychosocial stuff this kind of what is their story what is their backdrop what do you need to be mindful of um so i definitely and like alex mentioned earlier it's it's not just reading stuff for the sake of it. It's then trying to think about the contextual piece and, and move it across. So yeah, that's sort of taking up my time a little bit. Um, I do struggle with it. I mean, it you know the, the three existing kids that I had, God only knows how. This- I'm not sure whether Phil's uh, still with us. I don't know. He's giving oh. cracks about Yorkshire Wi-Fi, and it's, it's ours that's still going. Yeah, ironic that, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, yes. So parenting 101 is uh, on my bedside table. Nice, Alex. What are you saying? Um, maybe a little bit different, controversial, I suppose, but nothing to be honest. Um, it's uh, it's uh, as you know, it's, it's been pretty full on the last couple of months. Obviously, with the kind of return to DPP off the back of the academy situation and also COVID, it's um, my days are kind of twenty four seven with the admin and organisation logistics stuff. So, I just think it's important for for people to to switch off and, and take time out and do your own bits and pieces when when it's uh, when it's difficult, when it's busy. Um, so I'm doing enough time rugby stuff during the week uh, and evenings and weekends at the moment, but kind of those times when I'm not doing it, it's uh, yeah, look look at other stuff outside away from rugby to keep myself sane a little bit, really. Um, so it's not always about kind of doing bits and pieces and doing that extra little bit of learning. It's when's the right time to do that and when's the right time to kind of switch off and take a bit of time for yourself. Um, so yeah, hopefully once... Uh, once things are up and running and things are a bit quieter, there'll be there'll be bits bits and pieces to come around that. But for for now, certainly the last uh, month or two, uh, it's been a little bit more switch off and and kind of uh, takes my own time. I like that. Two excellent answers. There is more to life than work and rugby. I think that is a message that more people could could do with getting on board with. So uh, no, top stuff, um, guys. As I say, thank you very much for coming on. I- I've thoroughly enjoyed this. It's been it's been great to catch up. And as I say, you are part of a a very small select group. So uh, congratulations on your second appearance on the roundup. Um, I'm going to round up the roundup. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to a really good discussion. Uh, links to the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. Mm-hmm.